0: Welcome to The Savvy Founder, the one place for entrepreneurs and business owners, away from the everyday bustle, where we help you find your path to a profitable and bright future. Now here's your host,
1: The Savvy Founder and armchair sociologist himself, Philip Topham.
0: Hello, I'm Philip Topham. Welcome to The Savvy Founder. And I am really stoked to have Brian McMahon here today. We met through an exchange, LinkedIn, and I invited him to the show. Wonderful background. Welcome, Brian. Thank you, Philip. Wonderful to be here. Yeah. The first thing I've got to ask is you have a wonderful accent. So it reminds me of my home country as well. I was born in Hull, uh, England, Yorkshire.
1: In Hull, very close to Hull. I was born in Ireland um, many, 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 many years ago, you know, somewhere back in the ancient times. (laughs) And since that time, I've lived in many places around the world. But yeah, originally hail from Dublin over in Ireland.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. So as I, you know, you're in my backyard with the expert dojo. And why don't you just give a little bit of background for the audience? What is the expert dojo? How did it come to be? And a a little bit about that first. Of course. Before we get into some things. Yeah, of course. So we're
1: an accelerator for early stage startups. And what that means is that we make investments into the riskiest and most early stage companies. Um, And we make those investments in the hope that those companies will go from being worth not very much because they're just at the beginning stages and they're launching um, to become unicorns or large companies worth millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, or even billions of dollars. Like that's the objective of how we do. Now, as an accelerator, where an accelerator differs from maybe an angel or a venture capitalist, is an angel or a venture capitalist, or just the money, right? So they come in, and, and, and I mean that no, with no disrespect. They might give some mentorship or some help, but generally speaking, the contract is I will give you fifty or hundred or two hundred or five hundred thousand dollars, and and you entrepreneur will give me equity, and then at the end of the day, hopefully we both make a lot of money from this. Now, as an accelerator, we kind of act more as a sherpa. Going up the mountain. So we'll say to the startups, look, yes, we're going to give you the money. And um, yes, we have locations and all those nice things. But most importantly, we're going to work with you to focus on your growth. So we're going to work with you on probably, in our case, a 20 to a 30 week, pretty intensive program where we'll go through everything from branding, personal branding, vision. How do they grow their company? What kind of tactics do they use? What kind of strategy do they build together? All the way through to actually scaling it as far as they can. Scale it. So yeah, we 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 love the space we're in. Have invested in around 110 companies so far, and we're still going.
0: Wonderful. Yeah, it, it, it's it's one of those uh, stories. There's a to me a very big difference between the investors and the accelerators. Right, the investor wants a perfect business already created, like that. Whatever their whatever their investment profile is, whether they invest in agri- ag tech agricultural technology, property technology, AI, they have a particular thing they're looking for, right? And you're out there with the accelerator helping them the founders build the business that is investable, right? Is is that a yeah. short, simple way of if, saying
1: if, it? If, if I use an a analogy, which is absolutely terrible to use in America, but probably <laughs> relevant in Ireland, I would say an investor is looking for a mail order husband or bride, while, while an accelerator is looking to develop a relationship with a person they can fall in love with from a very early age in the full knowledge that the flaws. Are just oozing through all of us, <laughs> but but our passion and love will overcome all.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's 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 I, actually I like that. I mean, even if it's uh, wrong, wrong, <laughs> it, 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 it's appropriate, right? It's it's the, this difference between, uh, you know, yeah, a mail order husband, mail order bride, whatever that is, uh, exactly, and really build it out that business. So for the, the, you know, the first thing that in talking to entrepreneurs, and they're always that their new idea, and they're building out their MVP, and the first thing they always say is, you know, I need money to build my business. Mm-hmm. So what do you what do you tell to that person? What's what's the advice that you give somebody when they're in that stage where they finally, they've come out of whatever corporate world they've been, they have graduated yeah. from college, they're a scientist, and they're, they're listening to everything on the internet about pitch decks and lean business canvas and all this stuff, what's, what's the advice do you give them? So first of all, it's just not the game that we play in. And, and, and the
1: thing is Silicon Valley does play that game. I mean, the, the entire principle of how capital is allocated is actually really fascinating once you get into the space. Um, and, and, and if it wasn't so atrociously bad, um, it would actually be even interesting. Um, so here's the challenge. We hope, based on all the books we read and all the wonderful people who have so many great things to say on television and in documentaries about startups, we hope that the greatest startups will break through. But that's just not the case. The startups that break through are the startups who go to the nicest colleges and their mommies and daddies, you know, have the most amount of money and are generally the most connected in the space. And then a lot of the time, I would say up to 70% of the time, you know, little Johnny gets given a unicorn for his birthday. And I say his very deliberately um, because this is really a male sport where you know little boys are, are predestined to get their unicorns from a very young age. And it's very sad really, because if we look at America going back 40, 50 years ago, I would say it was maybe even 30 years ago, it was the greatest place on the planet for entrepreneurship, like nowhere competed with America. You could argue, that Israel has always been more successful than most other countries, because for a number of really fascinating reasons, which would be a whole different podcast, (laughs) really interesting. But America is the home of entrepreneurship. That's when hope was embodied and where people literally wake up and come out of the womb and say, I'm going to start a business because hope springs eternal and we can do what we want to do. And somehow that dream was kidnapped over the last 20 or 30 years and money took over. And what happened was that pursuit of great through entrepreneurship was replaced by a monopolistic, and I would say socialistic in some ways, attitude that pretty much says, look, why would we work so hard to build a company and compete fairly with all of these other people who may beat us when we can just put a billion dollars into our company and price gouge everybody else for the next 20 years and win? So AKA Uber, AKA Lyft. We work. I mean, there's so many, you know, even mattress companies were getting in and this compass real estate. We're getting if we look at a lot of the unicorns that have come through the US, they are based on one thing only. And it really makes me laugh because when I I'm only going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I think it's important to set the context yeah. of the of the the, the disease that, that has infected entrepreneurship over the last 20 years. Like if we take Uber or Lyft, I, I really find it quite amusing when people talk about what great technologies and how we is <laughs> not, not technology, it's a QR code. Like China has been using these for 20 years. Right. And like and and even if we go up our left or, or, or like it's not even just the QR code, it's the fact that the, the technology is so unbelievably basic. And the only thing we've done is we've taken people who are trained drivers, who sit in cars that are of a specific color, and we replace them for people who are untrained drivers, who sit in cars of lots of different colors. And rather than picking up a phone and calling someone, we tap on a phone four times. Like that's the entire technology. And when we truly get to the essence of what makes Uber and Lyft versus the taxi service, if tomorrow... The taxi services switched prices with Uber and left. And from LAX airport to my place in Santa Monica, it cost me $27 to take a taxi versus $50 in an Uber. Every single person that uses Uber, bar nobody, would move back to taxis. So what's happened I actually call it socialism. It's way worse than socialism. It's venturism. It's when venture capital subsidizes pricing for a 12 to a 15 year period while all competition is decimated out
0: of the market. It's an absolute atrocity. So, anyway, that's the world I live in. (laughs) (laughs) I I see it played out even in the, you know, that's the billion dollar company that, that people are buying. And I'd like to see tons of million dollar companies 10 million dollar companies because they can they can transform out of all that tremendous knowledge and skill and capacity we can really change the future if we get lots of 10 million dollar companies going uh, they will become a hundred million dollars right I
1: agree. and
0: and i started this podcast because i i kept seeing people go up to an an investor an angel investor a vc and say what do you think to my idea and they would say you know Come back when you mm-hmm. have an MVP.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it really frosted me that what the, the investor was just saying, you're, you're not investable. They weren't saying no, mm-hmm. you just don't meet my criteria. And the person who was hearing, oh, it takes money to make money. I need to, I need to have a rich uncle, or I need to get something, and then I can build the MVP. And really they're not building their business, right? And that that's that's sort of what you're doing in the accelerator. You're really helping people build their business rather than and rather than face, you know, say, come back when when everything's perfect, right? You're helping them.
1: Yeah. And also, so there's a couple of things to look at. Number one, even those billion dollar companies, they affect even the companies looking to build. And I I love that you said that, by the way, that we should be focused on building, you know, 1 million, 5 million, 10 million, 20, 30 million dollar companies. We can actually live for the rest of our life without ever having to worry about money with exactly 12,000, 12 million, 12.5 million dollars. That's the statistical number that you can pretty much have (laughs) a house. Anywhere, Like, you don't have a mansion, but you can have a really nice house and a really nice life and you never have to work again. So we don't need a billion dollars. Like, that's the truth. Like our kids, 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 kids don't need to be planned for like $12.5 million. But the challenge again with these larger companies is because the price gouging starts so high, nobody can compete with Amazon because they just got there through venture money. Nobody can compete with Lyft and Uber. Nobody can compete with the, the real estate companies, the mattress companies, because they price gouge, not based on being more effective. And that pushes out just general mid enterprise enterprises well out of the market as well. So, we need to understand those challenges so we understand how investors think and why they think that way because they know that if a startup is coming through the chances of a startup reaching $100,000 in revenue is only 4%. The chances of a startup reaching going from $100,000 in revenue to a million dollars a month in revenue is only 10% of that The chances of a company getting to $10 million a month in revenue is 10% of the 10% of the 4%. We know as an investor that subsequent venture capital investors will require a company to be able to do that type of revenue, to be able to break through on a large level and be able to get a good return for that fund. So if we know that the statistics are massively stacked against that startup. I don't blame investors for holding back on the investment. And I go a step further. I think we've entered into this world of neediness where everybody wakes up in the morning and everybody deserves a medal. You know what, God bless you. You're so talented. (laughs) Your mommy loves you so much. And she thinks that you're gonna be the most special person in the world. Well, you know what? You're not the most special person in the world. And actually the company that you're gonna start probably is going to fail unless you do things that nobody else is prepared to do. Like, there's a reason that only one or 2% of people go after entrepreneurship. And there's a reason that only a slight fraction of those people make it through. Because what are you prepared to do? Like, are you prepared to stay up till two o'clock in the morning like I was last night? Are you prepared to wake up then at 5.30 in the morning to kick off in the day? Because if you're not, get the hell out of this room because you are not going to make it as an entrepreneur. And you got to understand that's what it takes. So my view is very different. Yes. Do we work with people on their growth? Yes. We love their growth. Do we love entrepreneurs, real entrepreneurs? Yes. Do we believe this is one of the most challenging things you will ever go through in your entire life? A thousand percent. This is hard, 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 hard. But do not go into a relationship, going back to our marriage relationship, don't go into a relationship wondering how much of what your your wife or your husband is going to make into the, in the future. Go into the relationship working on the basis, is this the best? Relationship for me, so as a startup, don't go into startup with the first thing you do in the first day uh, buying business cards, getting a t shirt with your logo on it, (laughs) and then a presentation deck that you can put to investors. Like, have more respect for yourself, go out there and build it. And if you say to me, Oh, I can't because it's technology and I can't build technology, well, either bring in a co founder or do something else that you can drive in some revenue to prove yourself out, like Mm -hmm. you know, be a be a man or a woman. Yeah, so, so, so that's
0: that's real key. I I, I call that the, the you know, you you have to demonstrate you have that passion. Like you you're gonna there's a there's a mountain or there's an entire mountain range, right? There's 20 I, there's, of them. 20 of mountain ranges, right? You know, you're gonna climb that one and then go on to the next valley and climb the next one, right? You're you're just gonna go on this pursuit of, of excellence, this journey, and you're not going to take, you, you're not going to give up, you know, you're not going to get to, uh, you know, halfway and then turn down the mountain that you have to have that passion. I, I liken it to the artist, right? The starving artists, like they, they're passionate to draw a picture, to paint, to do something. And they, if, if they were not making a lot of money, they'd get up in the morning, they paint, they do something. Entrepreneurship yeah. is that same way. There's this desire to build, to do, to make, to solve to understand and all the other things come after they've solved all the other problems. Right. Right. Yeah. And so when you're, when you're selecting folks for that accelerator, how do you, how do you figure out that person has that, that raw capability because certainly at 22 or 24 or even 34, 40 people sometimes don't know who they are. So mm-hmm. how do you how do you win how do you figure out who's the right entrepreneur? we we, gen-
1: we generally know what we are though Mm. And you can see it with people. We all have friends. You know, one of my one of my best lessons was it was an investment we made into a guy and um, back in the early days. And he's such a brilliant person. Um, and we have only five criteria that we look at. We look at the um the ability for the these are in no particular order because mm-hmm. they all count, right? So the propensity for the founder to to get investment because they're going to need at some stage they're going to need to be able to get investment. Um so, and it's very important. And the second thing is like, what is the execution skills of the founder themselves? Um and that that's proven through time. They don't have who have done a startup, like you can tell, we all have flaky friends. We all have friends who turn up on time every single time. We all have friends who when they're arranging something, it's absolutely perfect. We all have friends who just turn up at the last minute for absolutely everything and are never prepared, right? We all have friends who prepare for every job interview. And even though they can be unlucky or lucky, but over time, their perseverance and the grit gets them through stuff. And we have friends who are the opposite of that, right? So what is their propensity for execution? We then look at what's the skill gapping in the team. So for example, if I don't see a technology person within a team that with a highly technical product, it's highly unlikely we're going to invest. Because just it, it it's it's arrogant to even think. I'm a biz dev guy, I'm not a, a tech guy. So it's arrogant for me to even think that I can build a user <laughs> experience online that would reflect the user experience that I actually would understand very well offline. It's just wrong. There's no chance. So I want want to be able to see, do the people in the team allow us to close the skill gaps as that team moves forward and gets stronger? And we also then want to see, do we see a direct line of sight to hundred thousand dollars a month in revenue? You heard what I said about the four percent. That four percent is the toughest. Like if you can get to that number, to that sorry, hundred thousand dollars a month, then you know you got a you got a great shout out at being able to have a shot at the title. And then we want to see is the market size big enough for that ten million dollars a month in revenue? Now it might be users versus revenue, but the principle is exactly mm-hmm. the same. So like I had this guy right right at the very beginning, and like he didn't take that box of execution, but he was so brilliant. One of the most brilliant potential entrepreneurs I've ever seen in my entire life. And it was always somebody else's fault. And every previous thing he uh. did always, right? Um, and, but his reasons were very pure and very good. And he was so brilliant. We took a shot in them because we took a shot on the person. Never do that again. So I look at those five criteria and I'm like, okay, I want to be able to see. And if somebody's like, I'm going to change, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. Well, yeah, sure. We'll come back yeah, when yeah. you've changed.
0: That's that that EQ, that emotional quotient that they, they're... They're very self-aware, right? You know, I, I, I'd probably, uh, you'd probably take, if somebody said, hey, like you, you're, you're good at biz dev and you know you're not good at technology and they're mm-hmm. self-aware, right? That's a critical component. I agree. Yeah. I agree. It's very, very strong. Yeah. So uh, is, how, how do we get, though, the skill sets then because there's a lot of people. I mean, entrepreneurship as a as a class in community colleges and universities. There's a, the, the word entrepreneurship is like I, I think has become the new word for nice. Like it, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean anything, right? Uh, you know, we're having a discussion about high tech startups that are really having a chance to go someplace. But sometimes I can go and see entrepreneurship. uh, You know, search on the internet and somebody's talking about how to bake cookies and sell it on Etsy and Pinterest, right? Right. So how do we? How do we get the message out what skills people need to really build something that is this, you know, 100 grand a month, monthly recurring revenue? What, how do we build those skills so we have more people capable of, of getting into the accelerators?
1: Well, first of all, start learning earlier, right? Watch less Netflix do more things that actually involve beginning a company, open up your eyes in the morning and make sure that like when you actually come through every single thing you're looking at is how do I start a business? Where do I start a business? Where does that come from? And, and you'd be surprised just the opportunities that you'll see there's things broken everywhere. There are chairs that don't support your back. It's grass that gets too long that lawnmowers can't cut properly. It's fences that are not quite wide enough. They're, you know, graffiti, which is put on the walls, which can't be cleaned off quickly enough. There are problems everywhere. Find the biggest problem that you can find, align it with what you can be potentially very, very good at. And then you have the beginning of entrepreneurship. That's when you can start to walk down that path of, I see a problem which can potentially be fixed. Now, how can I fix it? I'm going through this right right now with my kid. And my Mm -hmm. kid's like starting all this stuff with YouTube and Judy's Style. I'm like, what are you wasting your time for? Like, you're going to do videos of people talking about their stuff. Like, you're not going to make any money from that. Find something that's going to drive revenue to you and find something which is worth your time. Like value your time and look at the return that comes from that in the most important way. And so for him, he loves tennis and he loves tennis and he breaks the strings all the time. And it's not the hardest job in the world to restring rackets and everybody else breaks strings really time. So what if he had a scooter and he could go out and he could pick up rackets and he could bring them back and he could restring them? And what if he had other people doing and you created like a door dash for that? Is it going to be a billion dollar company? No. But is it going to be a company that can earn them a couple of hundred bucks a week? Yeah, that's a good business. So find something. It doesn't have to be the huge broken, you know, we're going to create an Uber or an Airbnb or something else, but it has to be something which is tangible that you can say, I can see, is there a customer proof point that I can go after?
0: Yeah. I agree with that a whole, a whole lot. It's, it's this, but I agree with that first off but i also try to figure out like th- this attention you know the reason your son was you know the social media and all that good stuff is we're living in this attention economy right everybody you know, be the next influential be the next this and be the next billion dollar company there's a lot of aspirational desire like it's just easy right versus hey put in the hard work build the skills, build the relationships, build especially the soft skills, how to talk to people, how to ask mm-hmm. questions, how to observe, all those skills that in your generation and my generation, it was, you could very, you, you had to go outside and, and touch things and feel them. But now that everything's digital, it, we're struggling with getting attention of people to say, learn how to do it. So how do we fix that so we get more people into this entrepreneur because I, I think it's really powerful to unleash that creativity. So our our, our feeling is it starts in
1: the schools, right? And that's a Uh much larger subject than we can cover today, but we have to to begin it there. And now if we say, okay, our school system may not be as good as we would hope it would be. And actually they won't begin it there and it's going to take a little bit of time, then it begins at the home. And if it begins at the home, it starts with parents saying, I want a better future for my kids. And I don't want them to work in some dead end job for the next 50 years and then reaching the end of their lives and saying, oh my gosh, that's awesome. I made it. Like we want them to to go into this earth and actually create something awesome that they leave as this great legacy behind yeah. them, and like and do a Steve Jobs, do a yeah. do a Bill Gates, do a Richard Branson, like bring out something which is truly extraordinary that gives you the ability to make your mark on this earth now many people would say well i don't know if i want that and i would argue i don't know if you've really been educated to know if you want that i just believe you've been brought through a system that enslaves you from the very beginning and teaches you and shows you how to earn just enough money to be poor for the majority of your life so this is a little bit like the matrix you know yeah, yeah there's yeah. there's, no, there's a could, moment when you yeah. when you awake right so at home if we say to our kids look Okay, you got two choices. Choice number 1 yeah. is you're going to work a job where you're going to be poor. You you might be rich poor, but you're still going to be poor. Like you're always going to spend more money than you're going to get through or you can try and lead a life whereby you're going to be you're going to be self-sustained and you've you've generated enough revenue young enough that you don't have to stress about this when you're 50, 60, 70 and stay away from drugs and booze and like all of the sure, bad sure. stuff that will lose a few Yeah, in the we meantime.
0: Yeah, we could go down that rabbit hole, we'll we'll bring it back to so in in you know i looked at your background and you came out of the the co-working space so yeah. how did that how did that evolution happen from co-working into like dedicated accelerators for high tech you know, accelerator. What- it, it all comes from a problem.
1: Look, I had a property development company way before that as well, back in the UK, and and for me, then I had a consultancy as well, and I had a um, ed tech company as well over here. So for me, look, I, I noticed that there was a problem in entrepreneurship. That there's a very high failure rate in entrepreneurship. Our belief is the current model of just throwing money and mentorship at it is a total waste of time, whether it's through accelerators or whether it's through venture capitalists. And what we need to do is focus on the fundamental core problems, which is that entrepreneurs do not have. Not, do not know how to adequately grow and scale a company with the right foundations. Most people are not equipped for all of the reasons we talked about before. Yep. So we decided to focus on those regions. And then we just did what we tell everybody to do. You know, you start with one bite You don't go for the whole elephant. So we invested in one company and then we learned from that. It wasn't a perfect company. It was a terrible company as far as an investment decision from our side. And then we did another company and then another one and then another one and another one and another one. And, you know, even a blind squirrel is going to find a nut. And the thing is, as you get better, as you do it for longer and longer and longer, you get better and you start to see things that were impossible to see before. It's a little bit like a truck driver, you know, driving from Los Angeles to Las Vegas through the Nevada desert every single evening for their whole life, there comes a time when you see whatever coyote is going to run across that road, like five or 10 seconds before it comes close to the road. Right. And so that's the game that we're in, is to be able to
0: analyze and predict potential issues long before they come. So, so that's wonderful. And I think that's that's a, a, a great advice to anybody listening is You'll, you'll program yourself. You'll learn by just doing it over and over again. You'll see patterns. We're, we're humans. We always do patterns. So what are the, what are the patterns that you've seen? What are the fail points or things that you say, Hey, I see that's happening. This is how we, we solve that. What are, what are some common issues that you uh, help people avoid these days?
1: So I'll tell you our methodology. Our course is very in-depth. Uh, I, I believe our course is one of the best courses um, in the world. Um, and, and it's because it's one of the few courses that's totally focused by an investor on just scaling entrepreneurs. However, let me, let me just rather than bore everybody with that, let me bring you through the philosophy of how we work. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneur works in four stages, right? Um, stage number one for us is the Viking stage. Very simple. You launch a company. You only really have three tasks to do outreach, communication, and brand. They're the only three things you do. So what do Vikings do? They get onto a boat. They don't even worry about breakfast. They get on that boat. They all sail in the boat. They cross across the ocean. They have an intent of destroying everybody in the village and stealing all of the plunder and taking it back with them. It's very simple, right? And then over time, then people are so terrified of the Vikings, of them sharpening their teeth as they come across in their vicious (laughs) Viking boat across the ocean, that the village doesn't hang around to get slaughtered. They're like, you know what? Why don't we just go and see our cousin Mary for the day? And we'll just Just leave whatever the heck they want and then we'll come back alive. How about we do that? So suddenly 20, 30, 50 Vikings can actually take on an entire town without anybody getting hurt and they can still take everything away. Brand, outreach and communication. That's what they did incredibly well. Now, The challenge with that, and the reason I say all this is because so many entrepreneurs spent all of their time on this, um, I'm trying to think of a nice word for it, but it's it's a contemplation of everything that should be and could be, right? It's this creative process of the perfect product and where it looks like. And they're either on NDAs or they're in stealth or nobody can see this or they'll steal it from you. And it's all <laughs> rubbish. Just be a frigging Viking. Get on your damn ship. Go across the ocean. Take the plunder. Massacre a couple of people if you have to massacre them. Like the incumbent is not yeah. sitting there hypothesizing about all of the BS that you're thinking about. You have nothing. Like literally in the early stages, (laughs) nothing you can do, nothing you can do will be held against you. Nothing. You can do the worst thing in the world in the first year or two years. You can be a mass murderer and you will be forgotten, not forgiven, but forgotten within 10 years time in the future. So you have got to experiment in that time and you have to got to experiment aggressively. Every minute of every day has to be focused on average. That's the first part. Second part then is the gladiator period because what happens is you get to a stage where you start to scale sales. And if you don't have a strong triangular foundation to work from, your company's going to collapse. It's going to be on a, on a, a bed of sand. So we then get to the stage where we're like, okay, you've driven your sales, you got your brand working, your communication is out there, you're building your mission. I mean, we're very much, as an accelerator, are entering into the second stage of the Viking stage. And that's when you start to create all of the structures around you and the efficiencies and the processes to make sure that your company is successful. So you want a a, a, a gladiator has got their armor, their process, they practice every single day. Nothing is random. When they go into that arena, they are as prepared as anybody's going to be. And in the startup world, that's efficiencies, it's processes, It's the right people doing the right Right. stuff It's making sure the structure is in place On top of that, you have to have the investment To make sure that you can buy the great armor The swords, do the training and everything else So investment now becomes a priority Not when you wake up And you decide you're going to be an entrepreneur And you're like the coolest kid in your class Whatever age you are That's not the time That's the time to be a damn Viking And if you're too afraid to be a Viking Then don't come out and play in the first place (laughs) Otherwise, wait until you're a gladiator and until you're building strong structure. That's when you need to bring the investment in. And at that stage, you're going to start working on your influence, either AKA Richard Branson, or you're going to start bringing influencers in, whoever it might be, but people in the market that can help give you an unfair advantage. Then you get through that stage. And that first stage is probably a year or two years. The second stage, a year, two years. And then you move into what we call Knights of the Round Table. And Knights of the Round Table is when you get every single person sitting around the table has a skill set better than yours. One is the CTO, one is the CFO, one is the marketing person, one is the blah, 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 HR person. Those people, you walk in the room and you just feel that you are overwhelmed by how great each one is. Not one single one of your skills matches those people. Then you have nailed the Knights of the Round Table. And then at the end, you turn into the Sensei. And the Sensei's job is to make sure that they they retain the vision of the company and that the company does not run out of money. That's their only job at that stage. In in some ways, their job ends in the same place that it started, maintain the vision of the company, do not run out of money.
0: Yeah, no, that's beautiful. I really like that. It's, it's, uh, it, it aligns with a lot of things I say as well. I always tell people that they asked me when I started advising uh, startups, they said, what, you know, have to have your words of wisdom. And I always said uh ideas are worthless revenues are priceless and surround yourself with smart people. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I hate the idea when people, when, when anybody comes to me, sign an NDA or I need an NDA to talk about this. Do you have revenues? Do you have anything to protect? Yeah. yeah. There's, there's a hundred people doing exactly what you're doing. Right. And you're the one, mm-hmm. you, if, if you're going to win, you got, you got to be the one talking about it the most because yeah. you've got to demonstrate, you understand it. You want to do it. You have the passion to solve the problem because the other, hundred percent, the other people are kind of, thinking about it, scared about it, scared about partnerships, scared about collaboration. Yeah. Uh, and I use the word partnership and collaboration. I'd be curious what you think. I, I people sometimes wonder, worry, oh, is that a competitor? And I says, every competitor is a potential collaborator and partner, yep. right? It's just whether or not your cultures match. That's about it. <laughs> and then it works. I agree. So the as you've been building your business, you, you, you've created your, you, you know, and I love that you're you're put yourself yourself in that gladiator as your uh mode as you're building out uh expert dojo, and then you created you've created this this we funder capability. <clears throat> so help, uh, that's how we kind of got connected on that part. So for sure, sure. So yeah. help me. Help me uh, explain what the WeFunder is, why you went and, and did that, because you, you certainly had access to lots of money mm-hmm. elsewhere. You were doing very successful with the way you're doing things. You're attracting a lot of interest in, in your mm-hmm. your approach, right? So yep. what, why bother with the WeFunder? Yep, and we have a fund, so we, we didn't need to raise a fund. So I
1: have been two things... R- well, there's lots of things actually. So I suppose within the area of democratization of money that have really fascinated me over the years. Um, but one of the most more interesting things about five, six, seven years ago was the Jobs Act in the U.S. And the Jobs Act allowed for. Well, first of all, if we go back before the Jobs Act, it's the, just the term accredited investors is so ridiculous to me. <laughs> it's like if you're if you're poor, then you're not smart enough to be able to make a decision that can make you a lot of money. So you should stay with stuff that's going to keep you poor. But if you're rich, we actively encourage you to be able to invest in the best return companies in the world, which also have a little bit of risk built into them as well. Like that's the general princess. uh, uh, It's like a princess thing. It's the general principles of how accredited investors work, which is just terrible. And so the Jobs Act came through, which said that on certain platforms, then investors that were not accredited investors were allowed to deal with companies that could potentially give them a greater return. So I love that. Look, it was a small step. In actually getting to the right place, but it was a step and a significant step all the same. So we went immediately um, at that time we got directly involved with Start Engine, WeFunder, Republic, um, Seed Invest, all of the companies that were the platforms which were the platforms which were recognized by the government as platforms that folks who are non-accredited investors could raise from. And we loved this because it was the beginning of the democratization of investors. Then we had everything that happened within crypto and blockchain and i'm not talking about the uh, like bitcoin and and just and crypto trading i'm talking specifically about if we're looking at how do we tokenize entire economies and what does that look like in the future it's absolutely fascinating because it's about taking away All of the stuff that's happening within money right now and having it on a level whereby it could be totally decentralized and not even even part of what happens within the government. And then a really interesting thing happened about six, seven months ago, which was GameStop. And we noticed a group of rogue investors, retail investors, non-accredited investors, took down a hedge fund and pretty much took down a bunch of hedge funds because there's a lot of hedge funds not doing what they would have done because of what happened within GameStop. So it was fascinating. So for me, the power of the retail investor is absolutely undeniable. And I believe that it will rock the absolute foundations of how venture capital is done. I believe the retail investor is going to be everything in the future. So we actually went back to a lot of our institutional investors and said, hey, you know what? We don't need your money. We're going to give it back to you. And we went out to the retail audience and said, look, Our model is to tilt up startup. That does not mean democratize. Democratize means that if rich people are here and poor people are there as startups, then the richer people have got to be poorer. I don't think that has to happen. I think if we tilt them up, then everybody can be rich. Like why the heck should everybody have to be poor? It doesn't have to, one doesn't have to equal the other one, right? And So it's the same with investors. So we have now said we want to build an army of retail investors and we want to have those retail investors supporting our startups all of the way through. And we want to be able to build a community around them. Our intention actually is to do a full tokenization of Expert Dojo and our entire portfolio and everybody that's in it, and that's a thousand companies. And that would mean that all of our companies, rather than having one shot on goal, they have a thousand shots on goal. And it means that the entire investor community would be getting tokens, which are all worth money in the future on the basis that they do things to support the growth of those companies. I think it's maybe would be one of the most interesting and fascinating experiments that mm-hmm. I have ever done in my entire life. So the WeFunder is the beginning of that journey. And okay. I believe we'll get to full tokenization within a year or two years. And our commitment is absolutely with retail investors to see, can we help start to create a model, which then becomes the norm going forward, whereby every retail investor is able to invest in venture capital funds as they
0: should have been able to do for years. Got it. You know and that's that's a uh, a lofty and ambitious goal. I wish you know with uh, but but very doable with where technology and crypto is today, right? Mm-hmm. And and what you've got there. What do you think is the, the biggest hurdle in get getting forward for that? Very little. Look, we, our, our job is very simple.
1: We have to choose good companies and we have mm-hmm. to choose enough of them. That's all. That's all we have to do. We have to make sure the companies are the good choices and we choose enough of them. Now, we decide that we we find our companies in Africa, in India, like the top emerging places in the world. We get some great companies out of America and Canada, out of Estonia, out of the UK, out of Finland, out of Sweden, out of Norway, out of Denmark. Like we'll take Latin America. We'll take Southeast Asia. There's nowhere we're not searching for companies. So we have have the whole world to look in. So all we have to do is not F it up. Mm -hmm. That's all. Find great companies. If we find great companies, the marketplace would become a marketplace that everybody wants to be a part of. If we don't find great companies and they're not proven, the marketplace will not. So we just keep our focus on the prize. And the prize is making sure the
0: companies are the greatest companies that can possibly be brought into our cohort. Very nice. So we've covered a lot of, of topics and one of the things I always like to ask people, especially somebody who's had a career, a long career mm-hmm. uh, in the entrepreneurial space and seen what it is, if you could go back and you know, you're not yet the sensei in your model, you're still the gladiator, you're not the sensei, but if you went back in time and went to your younger self, what, what advice would you give to your younger self as you started on this entrepreneurial journey? The same advice I give my kid. You
1: know, I I started too late and I didn't realize I I got I got taught by schools when I was young and -hmm. that meant that I got taught incorrectly about how life is supposed to be. Life is not supposed to be working in a job from eight o'clock in the morning until five, six, seven o'clock in the evening every single day for 50 years just so you can sustain and make it through, just so you can just pay your mortgage, just pay your car, just pay everything else. That's not what life is supposed to be about. Life is supposed to be about doing better to the world and doing better to yourself. And you can't do that if you're distracted with these other silly things like trying to earn money just so you can survive on a daily basis. So with my kid right now, I mean, from the age of 13, 14, every single thing we talk about is the interesting aspects of creation. It's not Mm -hmm. so much entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship sits in creation in a beautiful place, but the interesting aspects of creation. So I make him love creation. And then when he loves creation, I then focus him on making sure that whatever he's doing, he has to be aware of, am I doing this as a hobby or am I doing this as as a business entity? And if I'm doing it as a business entity, then I need to be making sure I'm maximizing the revenue I return. If I'm doing it as a hobby because I love it, then great, don't you dare call it a business. But, but, but I, so I focus him on that place of create on that place of creation where he gets to do it. And so like, yeah. for example, like I'll sit in the evenings and we'll listen to the podcast business wars, which is a phenomenal podcast that is just directly, you know, it'll be Netflix versus blockbuster, <laughs> you know, so it's right. a war and it's fun, but it teaches him about business and about growing business. So for every kid growing up, for every parent out there, don't let your kids sit in front of TV watching it. And for every kid out there, don't like waste your life being a, and when I talk about life, I'm talking only about the job, not what the job provides. Plenty of people have got families. They have no choice. Mm -hmm. they are in a place, but I would still argue that if they took hold of this early enough, they can do things that position them in a place whereby they can have a much easier go of what a lot of people, uh, you know, struggle through.
0: Very nice. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I, I, I do say, you know, you're, I'm the, person who always wants to turn off Netflix. I can watch my one show, that's good. And then it's gotta go off. If, I'm a, if I wanna watch the second show, I know I'm being addicted to something. So I always try to find something else that I'm educating learning. It's wonderful advice. So it, in the people, one sort of last question, or mm-hmm. maybe uh, two last questions. In, in the kinds of co- people that come into uh, the dojo, what, what ages are they, right? Every they age, learn, every age. So yeah. th- did they learn this? Are they still learning what you're telling them of creativity or they already have that in spades, right? So uh, what they I'm, don't
1: have is the structure in the process.
0: They you don't know? have the structure. So different process. people get it at different ages. I got it at a later age.
1: Some people get it at a younger age. And, um, but what nobody has is the structure in the process because we're not taught that anywhere. Not in college, not school anywhere, every age. We have people from 50 and 60 all the way down to 20.
0: Yeah, I, I think of my own journey. I know at 22 and 20, I was doing retail sales and trying to figure out how retail worked and that sort of stuff. But, but like you probably had parents that said, "Go to college, get a job. You'll be you'll be set for life." Not the best advice, but I always was uh, intrigued with entrepreneurship. And I put myself in that in in the Viking space with the podcast. Just try to get the message out there that there's other ways to build and grow your businesses. And it starts by having those conversations and helping people, you know, solving those problems, right? So the, uh, is there, is there anything, the, the last question I'm going to ask is, is, a, is, I'll argue is a, is a unfair question mm-hmm. in a sense that as a, somebody interviewing you on a, on a podcast, what question did you think I was going to ask you? You were, you probably had all these questions prepared uh, answers prepared for questions. What question did I not ask that you thought, Hey, he didn't ask that. I'm, you know, what should I have asked? So, what would uh, you want to tell the audience? I,
1: I, I, I will tell you whenever I do a podcast and I, and I do a fair few talks and conferences, just because of the nature of the work that we do, mm-hmm. I never, ever, ever prepare for a informal conversation, which Mm -hmm. is supposed to be revealing the information that I have that I should have learned over a period of time, I never prepare, I never think about it, I never prepare, I never look at the questions, I never think of the questions, I just see it as a nice conversation, which would bring information through. For me, the important part is the how right? And, and you you covered that really nicely. It's not about should you be an entrepreneur or should you be rich? Like everybody would want to be rich. Most entrepreneurs, they don't even start, the real entrepreneurs, they don't start companies to become rich. Just if you become very good at them, it's generally tends to be an outcome that you end up getting to. It's about the how. So we all talk, 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 talk. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this is what's gonna happen. This is where I'm gonna do it. Like just get up in the morning and go out there and build something. And if you can take that methodology that I mentioned earlier on and just start with that Viking stage and say, did I get into a boat this morning? Did I cross the ocean? Mm -hmm. Did I scare anybody? Because if I didn't do any of those things, I have no right talking about any of the stuff that comes in the gladiator stage or the Knights of the Round Table or anything else. I have no rights talking about my wonderful business to my friends in the bar about how I'm developing and growing. Be a damn Viking. Vikings don't have time to go to the bar and tell their friends about all of the creative and wonderful ideas they're working about. They're too busy out there killing people. So go out there and massacre a village. So I like it. You covered that very nicely. And that's really the message I always want to get across in these things. I have huge respect for anybody who endeavors on this journey. Some of us make it, some of us fail. (laughs) Some of us do both every single day. And that's okay because we're on a journey that most other people are not prepared to do what it takes to actually get to the end of that journey. So that on its own puts us in a special place. But if we're going to be in that place and if we're going to go through the thing, and this is where I'll leave it, make sure... That you do everything in your power to actually go out there and make it a success, as opposed to thinking and talking about making it a success.
0: That's that's wonderful wisdom. Make it make it success, don't talk about success. That's really nice. So how do people get in contact with you, Brian? Oh, you
1: can hit me at Brian at expertdojo.com, B-R-I-A-N at expertdojo.com, um, and I'll
0: reply to every email. Perfect. I'll have that in the show notes and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's been wonderful having an opportunity to talk to you and get to know what you're doing to change and help build businesses and, and bring, I would like to bring tomorrow's future today. I'm impatient for it. I really want to see it. So thanks again, Brian. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you, my friend. That was awesome. Yes. yes. And so if you've liked the show, please, uh, in, you know, in the notes, uh, certainly give a, a good review. Five-star review. Be sure to listen every week. I'm Philip Topham, the Savvy founder. Thanks for listening. I'm wishing you a bright and profitable future in both your personal and business lives. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and check out our website for tips, thesavvyfounder.com.
1: You can also follow Philip on Clubhouse at The Savvy Founder. Wishing you a profitable and bright future.
0: Safe journeys. See you next week.